If you're a guest here, um, I'd love to meet you. Uh, when we finish our time here, I'll be out in the commons area. You'll see a um, next steps table in the cove area, just right behind the sound booth here out in the commons area. You'll see a place as a guest to stop by. We have a gift for you we'd like to put in your hands as a way to express to you our appreciation for you coming to worship with us. And I'll be standing out there around that area and love for you to say hello and let me put a name with your face. Jason mentioned earlier uh, new people coming our way and we see that in August. We see a lot of people move to our area uh, to get in school and started in our local schools as well as at the university and we're trying to prepare for that. Uh, this morning at the nine o'clock hour I met uh, a family said this is their third Sunday here. I met another family said this was their fifth Sunday here. I turned around to speak to a guy out in the commons area and he said it's my first Sunday here and so it was just we're surrounded by a lot of folks that are come to the area, new to the area, looking for a, a church and God working in a lot of different ways. So welcome to our guest and uh, say hello before you get away. We're going to pray together and I want us to pray in a very specific way. I invite you to join with me praying right now that over the next 30 minutes that we would have a fresh encounter with God. Let's pray. Father, even as I say that, I have, um, I, don't, I don't have expectations of really what that would mean if you answered that prayer. I want to ask you, by the power of your spirit, through the teaching of your word, that today we could have a fresh encounter with you. Lord, let this, let this time right now be more than a lecture more than just a classroom meeting, more than just people talking amongst themselves. Spirit of God, would you rise up in us, fall on this room. It seems like, Father, when we read Old Testament, New Testament, that anyone that encountered you, encountered Jesus, they were never the same. They changed in some way. There was one who encountered you, Jesus, that went away sad because he would not receive you. Jesus, I think of Lazarus, came back to life. I think of Zacchaeus, his life changed, his heart changed, his ways changed because of his encounter with you. Today, would you meet with us? Change us according to your plans. I pray you'd search us. There wouldn't be anything in this room or anything in our hearts or minds or lives that would quench the work of the Holy Spirit. I submit this time to you. And through the teaching of Psalm 93, we pray totally and completely your plans would be accomplished. And Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen. Psalm 93. Have you, have you ever been in a situation 
that after your experience, you said to your family or you said to yourself, I need to talk to the manager. Or I want to speak to the owner. At the, uh, the last week of June, I had that experience. I was in a local restaurant, and our family ate. And when we finished eating, they went on outside, and I, and I hung around for a little bit. And I went to the counter at the restaurant, and I said, are you the owner? And they said, no, the owner's not here. And they were just big-eyed looking at me. And I said, the reason I ask is because the experience we just had here was so amazing. It was so good. It was so fun. And I just want to talk to who thought it all up. I want to know who planned this. I, I want to know who's in charge of this. And I just wanted, if you could communicate to them, just tell them a first-time person said, wow. I, 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 wanted, to, I wanted to have a conversation. I, I don't know really what I wanted. I, I just wanted to see them. And I just wanted to kind of just say, thank you, amazing, wow. Now, you may have had a different kind of experience somewhere, and wow wasn't exactly what you were thinking when you wanted to speak to the owner. Some of you were wondering just 30 seconds ago, what did our pastor do at this local <laughs> restaurant? Um, in, in our world, your experience, what you're walking through this very day, may have had you this past week asking the question, who's in charge of it all? I'd really like to talk to the one who's um, handling this. Psalm 93 is an encounter with the owner of it all. Psalm 93 is an opportunity for us to have a meeting with the one who made it all, created it all, is in charge of it all, rules it all. Psalm 93 is an opportunity for us to have a meeting with the king of the universe. Five verses. Five verses. It's the shortest psalm of the summer. We've had some psalms this summer that have been, uh, one, one was 52 verses. This one's five. Imagine my relief when I opened and just saw. Uh, my, my Psalm 93 ends with verse 4. You, you turn the page and expect two more pages sometimes, and there's just a, one verse on the next page. Now, you might think, shortest psalm of the summer. This might be, Billy, the shortest sermon of the summer. Don't hold your breath, all right? All right. When we think about meeting with the king of the world, I want to hold this question out in front of our hearts for the day. What happens in your heart when you're introduced to the king of the world? What happens in your heart when you're introduced to the king of the world? You get a chance to encounter the king of the world. What happens in your heart? 
I swear, just living in these verses this past week, just God, when I read this verse, when I think about this verse, when I, these verses, what's happening in my heart? Well, there's, there's an equation that's working in Psalm 93. In Psalm 93, we see the character of God plus something. Let's look at Psalm 93, and, and uh, we'll unpack it a little bit here. Psalm 93, this encounter with the king of the world, king of the universe. Verse 1, the Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as his belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring, mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. Your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. That's it. Imagine being given the assignment today. Write a song, five verses that tell us about God. Write a paragraph about who God is. We know very little about Psalm 93. Uh, We have a lot of psalms that have a title with them, and we get a lot of context out of the title, such as last week, Psalm 92 said a song for the Sabbath. Psalm 93 just dives right in at verse 1. We don't know who wrote it. We don't know um, all of the context. We try to make some uh, assumptions. There's some speculation we can have because of a couple of things that are referenced in those five verses. But really, it's just a song about God. It's an encounter with God. And we see the character of God in these five verses. And so take this equation, the character of God, and we're going to look at that, and we combine it with the chaos of the world. And what happens, what comes out on the other side when you take the character of God and the chaos of the world and you weave those together, mix those together, you live those together, what's on the other side of the equal side? That's where we're headed. First, the character of God. And I'm praying with you. Deacons, we met together early this morning. We're praying. I said, man, pray this thing. Pray that we would encounter God. I'm praying by the Spirit of God we would be able to encounter him through what's written in his living word. And we have this encounter here with God. It it begins to just tell us who he is. And the very first character description of God we have is that He reigns. The Lord reigns. The Lord reigns. The word Lord is used several times in these five verses. Each time it's used in that all capital letter format. That means that uh, we're making a reference to Yahweh. Uh, This is uh, not one of the names of God. It's the name of God the Hebrew name of God and he's speaking the God of Abraham the God of Isaac the God of Jacob this is the Lord Yahweh and it says something here an attribute of 
this Yahweh, of the God, is that he reigns. To reign means to rule. It is the picture of him being king. Psalm 93 all the way through Psalm 100, those eight psalms, they have a common theme. The common theme of those eight psalms is that they all speak in some way about the kingship of God. They stress the reigning position of God. Now, we can know, we can name, we know of local leaders. We know of state leaders. We know of national leaders. We, we know of countries that have leaders. We don't speak about the leader of the world, the king of the world. When we're speaking of Yahweh, what we find out is, is that he is the ruler of the world. He rules over local, state, national, country, continent, earth, planet, planets, galaxies. All he reigns. He's king. Now, you think... Just a little bit of very brief, very, very brief Israelite history. And it's be very elementary probably to a lot. It helps me though. A lot of times I have to sort of get sequence. I think, okay, Abraham had a son named Isaac. Isaac, son. Jacob and Esau. Jacob, God changed his name to what? Israel. And so Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Esau, Jacob, he changed his name to Israel. It means he struggles. And we, we refer to the Israelites as God's chosen people. They had a king. His name was Yahweh. We call it a theocracy, ruled by God. But they wanted a king like other nations had. They wanted a king that was physical. They wanted a king they could see. They wanted a, a, a king that they could uh, observe, that would go out physically in battle. They, they wanted a monarchy. A monarchy is one ruler. We have oligarchies. There are multiple rulers. We have anarchy. That's no ruler. But the position of God, a theocracy, one king, one ruler of it all. And God gave them their wishes. He gave them an earthly, physical king. But one day, we will see the ruler, the king of the world return. His name is Jesus. And Revelation 19 says, his robe will have written on it, king of kings and lord in our experience now of encountering Yahweh, who is he? What does he do? What is his position? He reigns. We use the word sovereign to describe our God. Sovereign simply means what the phrase the Lord reigns is. It's sovereign. When we say God is sovereign, that means that he is the Lord that reigns. He's in charge. All things are in submission 
to him. He has authority. He sits atop. He's sovereign over it all. He reigns. When we walked into the room this morning and we started singing, we were singing to Yahweh. We were singing to the reigning king of the universe. We were singing to the one who rules it all. That's who we were giving our worship to. You were worshiping the king of all. That's who we worship. It's my privilege this morning to just lift him up in this room as the king, the one who is over it all. Here's a second characteristic of God. Not only does he reign, but he says that he is robed in majesty. The scripture uses clothing and places to help us understand the meaning of things. In the New Testament, we have verses that say, um, clothe yourselves with righteousness, clothe yourselves with kindness and all humility. It speaks of dressing our our, our lives in certain characteristics. Uh, we talked about the spiritual armor a few weeks back, and we talked about how those verses in Ephesians says, put on the full armor of God. Here, God is personified and given uh, this picture of wearing something, of wearing a robe. The Lord reigns. He's a king. He is robed in what? Not a particular cloth, not a particular design, not particular jewels. There's just a descriptor to describe his robe, majesty. It's an attempt for us to take earthly things and illustrate heavenly characteristics, attributes of an infinite God. And he says he's robed in majesty. Majesty is a word that causes some feeling in us if we speak of something being majestic there's it, it cre creates often a sense of awe sometimes we're we become wordless we don't know how to describe it or what to say uh, majesty is really a hard concept to grasp but there's some things that we probably in our lifetime have called majestic i've seen horses before that i thought that's a majestic horse Look at him run across that field and his mane flowing, his tail flying in the air. Look at that majestic horse. Some of you have seen mountains this summer that you would describe as majestic, just massive, different colors stretching into the skies. You would say that mountain is majestic. We see waterfalls that we might say are majestic. Not every single one, but if you stand beside Niagara Falls and you hear the roar and you feel the splatter and you see the rushing water, uh, you, you find yourself speechless and in awe and one of the only words you can find to describe it is just majestic. And this is the songwriter trying to find words to describe who God is. He says he is robed in majesty. Majesty is this combination of beauty and authority and power all rolled up into one. It's this visual characteristic of God of trying to describe his appearance. It's a high position of royalty and beautifulness and strength and richness splendor that's the God that we come in to sing to that's the God that we obey that's the God that we worship he reigns and he is robed in majesty third we find out that he has a belt of strength 
the Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as his belt. Strength deals with the capacity to do. This is when you think about this God who reigns, who is majestic, he is strong enough to do whatever needs to be done. You walk into this life with a story, you walk into this room with a story today. Hear who the God is that you're encountering a God that is ruling and reigning, a God that is majestic, a God that is belted with truth, belted with strength. Here's the fourth. He's everlasting. Everlasting. He says, yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. He is everlasting. He is the last word. The last words of this psalm said he is forevermore. What this is telling us about our God, Yahweh, is that there is no time measurement on God. There will never be a day where we would say God has gotten old. He's not aging. He's not feeling bad. He's not dead. There's no calendar for him. And today when we speak of the uh, uh, infinite characteristic of God, of him being everlasting, I'd love to just be able to say to you this morning, God is everlasting. And in this room, it would be amazing if hands went up and it was just this shout of amen. Here's reality. I don't do that. Of all the characteristics we talk about God today, of all the attributes, more than his majesty, more than his strength, more, more than him reigning, when I come to everlasting, it is the one attribute of all of God's attributes that just blow my mind. It's short circuits. I can't stay there long. When I start thinking about the age of the earth, our history and things that have happened and where we all came from. And I start talking about God. So we, we think the earth is this old. We, we, we think that this has started then. We think of these different eras in history. Where was God? Already there. Well, when the earth was created, who made God? No maker. He's not created. He's the creator. You, anybody else? You just like stop. It's just blowing my mind. I just can't stay. It, it's, just, it's one of those attributes that we encounter that our finiteness cannot comprehend. But the reality is we rejoice in it because we see that he's so much more, so much bigger, so much beyond than we can ever comprehend. And so whatever God brings our way, we have the confidence that we've got a God that won't be surprised by anything that comes up. He won't be overwhelmed. There's no surprise in heaven. Adrian Rogers says, has it ever occurred to you that nothing ever occurred to God? He just knows it all. He, he's been there and he'll be there. He's everlasting. There is no calendar for God. 
he, he establishes kind of just the nature of him being everlasting in this context of, of the world being established. So because he's everlasting and forevermore, um, the, the world's established. What he has made is, it, it won't be moved unless the sovereign king says it will be moved. Yet we live in a world that seems very unnerved in these days about us doing something that might destroy the world, knock it off its axis. Now, I believe the world, God created the world in the way Genesis says. I, I'm the seven-day guy, and God made this on the first day, made this on the second day. I'm not, and, and in my mind, my heart, what I believe is the, the, the world's a few thousand years old. Now, let's, let's, go, let's go here for a second. Say a person really doesn't believe that the earth is just a few thousand years. How can that be, Pastor? It's another, another sermon for another day, but I think that God created things with age. I don't think Adam was a baby and he grew into being ready for Eve. I, I just God made things new, but they were old. They were aged. Suppose you're a person or there's a person you encounter that believes that the earth is four billion plus years old. Do you know who should have the most confidence of all that the world is established? Somebody who believes it's four billion years old. Listen, God says the world is established. It's set. It's settled. I'm from ever. I know I was here before it began. I will be forevermore. That's the God we're encountering. And he goes on. He reigns. He's robed in majesty as a belt of strength. He's everlasting. And then these verses tell us that he's mighty. So the floods have lifted up, O Lord, the floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring, mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. Mighty. Strength has to do with the capacity to do something. Mightiness or might incorporates size into the ability. It's, he's a big God. A strong God. Might is an overcompassing attribute, uh, overencompassing attribute of God that involves all of his capacities. In every way that he operates, he's the one with might. He's the mightiest. He's the one that can. And the psalmist here takes what they know as the one thing they cannot control water and they had seen floods rise and destroy things and the power of a flood and the raging of a flood and then refers to the thunders of many waters and the waves of the sea and for the psalmist in their day the most intimidating picture of chaos an uncontrollable piece of their life 
was what would happen with water. They were completely at the mercy of whatever would happen with water, waves, the sea, the rain, out of their control. And they took the picture of what was the biggest, most powerful, uncontrolled element of their day and said, the psalmist says, and I bring that in line with God, and you know who he is? Mightier than that. He's mightier. It's an invitation to us to bring our life story into the presence of God and remember that we worship one that is mightier than all of it. And then he says he's trustworthy. The God we worship, Yahweh reigns. God is robed in majesty. Our God is belted with strength. Our God is everlasting. He's mighty and he's trustworthy. Verse 5, your decrees are very trustworthy. God keeps his word. He's dependable. You can count on him. He makes a promise. He keeps it. Trust worthy. He's worthy of trust. Why? Because he's so proven. He's, he's, he, he doesn't fail. He doesn't let you down. You think about the God that we came in to worship today. This God that we're singing to. This God that we're studying about. This God that we're praising. The God that we're devoted to. We don't say about him... God keeps his word most of the time. We don't say, God, God makes promises and you can count on most of them. We worship a God that his commandments are true. His, his promises are reliable. What he says he will do. He's trustworthy. And then here's the last attribute of this word, of these verses, and that is God is holy. This is your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house. What does that mean? It means that God is at home in a place of holiness. Why? Because he is holy. That's who he is. And so when he describes him as being a house that is befitting to him as one of holiness, it's saying that a house of holiness, a picture of him fitting in in a holy place. God is holy. Some of you live in places right now, and you would say, I look around at my apartment or my house, and it's really not me. Anybody heard a spouse say that lately? It's just really not me. It's, I, I'm not, this is all Southern living and I'm New York City, you know. It's just, it's not me. It, it, it's, some of you, you'd say, man, I love my home. Why? I'm just so at peace there. Why? Because it's just me. It's just me. There's my chair. There's my colors. There's that view. Just me. Some of you have a board in your house on the wall that you've bought or painted and thought about and put some words that describes your home. 
So this is our home. We got one of those. Carla looked at the wall this week. She said, where's my picture? So it's at the church. <laughs> and and we, we have this board, like right as you go into the hall of our, the back hall of our house, and it says, in this home, we, and it describes our house. Now, we didn't have a weekend retreat to come up with all these statements and pray over it and get a board painted. We went to Hobby Lobby and bought it. <laughs> Probably used a 40% off coupon, all right? I got a good wife. And um, we read it, and we said, that's us hanging on the wall. In this home, we love like crazy, share our stories, serve others, listen and learn, support each other, forgive and forget, and love unconditionally. We're like, that's us. Just put it on the wall. I was thinking about that, and I thought, what if we could make God into a person with a home? I wonder what his board would say. I was thinking about that. I said, I'm going to make God a board. Here's God's board for his house. you encounter this God what happens in your heart he reigns he's majestic he's strong he's everlasting he's mighty he's trustworthy he's holy three things have happened in my heart this week first thing is I'm convicted I'm convicted because I realize that he is holy and I'm not and I fall short of his glory and I have no business relating to a holy God And I'm reminded that God sent his holy son, Jesus, to die to pay for my unholiness and give me his righteousness by faith so that I can be in the same house that God is in. Better yet, so that God be in my house my temple and the only reason that's possible is because 
of what Jesus Christ has done to cover my sin and give me a relationship with a holy God. That's who we worship. And it convicts me. And the things that don't live up to his holiness to say, God, change that. Change that. I want to be more like you. I want to be more at home with you. I want you to be more at home with me. Make me more like Jesus. Get rid of the things that are not holy. Get rid of the things that are not like you. Give me a hatred for the things that are not yours. It's not your style. Let my style be your style. You're holy. These verses compel me. Like wanting to see that restaurant owner without knowing what I would say. Encountering this kind of God makes me want to come before him and just say, wow, I stand in awe. Knowing this kind of God is the heart of our worship. We don't worship God because of what he gives us. We don't worship God because of what we get from him. We worship God because of who he is. He reigns. He's a God of majesty and might and everlasting. He's holy. And from our hearts, when we encounter him, we just praise him. We worship him. And last, these verses calm me. C-A-L-M. I've told people for a number of years that Psalms are my medicine. And Psalm 93, in this day, is the medicine you need and the medicine I need. Here's the equation. The character of God and the chaos of the world. And we bring our chaos into the character of God and encounter Him. And all of that chaos of the waves of everything you're dealing with in this life. What, what is it? What are those? Is it the job? Is it your health? Is it the kids? Is it the parents? Is it the deadlines? Is it the economy? Is it politics? We bring all of that chaos into the character of who God is. And on the other side of the equal sign, here's what it produces. A convicted compelled, calm heart. He gives a peace that passes all understanding. Guards our hearts and guards our minds. And today I want to invite you to bring your chaos into the presence of this God of Psalm 93. Would you bow? I want to ask Tim and Caleb to come and they're going to give us a chance to worship the king of the universe. And they're
hold this question. What's happening in your heart as you encounter this God? Maybe today you realize that you are not like God, that you are not holy, and you need and you want a relationship. He's drawing you to him. How can that happen? You can call out to Jesus and ask him to forgive you and receive his righteousness. Receive him as the one who died and rose for you. Pastor, help me with that. Come find me. We start singing. Come find me right here at the front. I'll be standing down here and I can help you today. Trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. A lot of you brought some chaos into your life today. There's a lot of room up here. We've got time and places to kneel. Maybe you need a marker in your life to say, I just brought the chaos into the presence of this God. And the marker for you would be kneeling here across the front somewhere and praying. Let's stand our feet. Father, we worship you. We pray you would accomplish what you want to do in this place. Let there be freedom for the Holy Spirit to work in this place. We exalt you. We praise you. You're worthy. You are worthy. We lift you up in this place. Take our chaos and bring a peace that passes all understanding. I pray for those that are lost and need a Savior. Today, they'd call out to you to be saved. We give you this time in Jesus' name.